At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out the Word of God now and turn in it in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews and chapter number 11 in the book of Hebrews. This month, we have been doing a series of messages that we titled Core Truth. And what we've been doing this month is we have been revisiting truth that is foundational, it is fundamental, it is essential to our functioning as a follower of Jesus. It's very important that we have this perspective. And for many of us, as we've been going over this core truth, we're very much like those that Peter wrote to when he wrote his second letter to the saints. And he said, I'm writing to remind you of these things, even though you know them. It's not always that we don't know the core truth. It's that we need to be reminded of it. Why is that? Well, when we become disconnected from core truth, truth that's foundational, fundamental, and essential, there's often a loss of joy in our life. And our eternal perspective can be shallow, and our worship can be weakened. So the very first week, by the way, if you haven't heard all these messages, we would encourage you to go to our webpage uh, and maybe to our Facebook page and listen to them. But the first core truth we looked at is that God knows me. God knows all about me. He knows every movement. He knows all of my motivations. He knows my thoughts before I express them. And he meticulously designed me. He wove my genetic structure as a tapestry. Same thing for you. And each of us are uniquely embroidered by him. We are, as the New Testament tells us, his masterpiece. So the first truth was he knows me. The second core truth was that he is always there. No matter where we go, whether we're going up to the heights of heaven or down into the grave or all the way to the east, or all the way to the west, no matter where we go, he is there. He is everywhere at all times. And the promise that he has given to us is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Absolutely never, ever will that happen. And then when you take those first two core truths that he knows me and he's always there and you knit them together, it underscores God's providence in all that happens. His fingerprints are on everything that happens in life. There are no accidents, only divine incidents. There's no coincidence, only sovereign providence. And then the third core truth we saw last time was that God passionately cares for me. Despite my rebellion, despite my tendency to do it my way, despite the poor choices I have, despite the own self-indulgence that I tend to be prone to do, he is always, we saw this last time, poised to sprint to us and to embrace us with grace and mercy and kindness and to rejoice over us with singing. So the first core truths were God knows me, God is always there, and God passionately cares for me. Yet, things happen. Those three core truths are core truths, yet things happen. The dire diagnosis arrives. A dear loved one departs from this world. A child goes prodigal. 
Things happen. A financial setback overwhelms. A betrayal invades our life. Fear and doubt strike the heart. God knows me. God is always there. God passionately cares for me. But sometimes life tumbles in on us. What then? Well, that leads us to the fourth core truth we want to look at, and that is this. We live by faith. We live by faith. That means we choose to believe what God says is true. Now, the fact that we live by faith is not new for most of us, but it is an indispensable element. It is where the rubber meets the road in our spiritual life. Let me get a showing of hands. How many of you are familiar with the biblical phrase, the just shall live by faith? Let me see some hands. All right, so most of us are familiar with that phrase. It only occurs four times in the Bible. We see it in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. We see it in Romans 1.17. We see it in Hebrews 10.38. And we see it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. The just shall live by faith. But how, how do we develop faith? How do we deepen our faith? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so that's one of the reasons why on Sunday morning at Wildwood we open up the word of God. We want to develop our faith. We want to deepen our faith. And that is why we are reviewing through core truth in this series. And when we talk about living by faith, what better place to dip our toes into than Hebrews chapter 11. It's the chapter on faith. And we won't have a chance to cover all of it. I would encourage you to spend some time in Hebrews 11 if you want to develop and deepen your faith. There's a lot of insights to be found here. What I would like to do, though, from Hebrews 11 is read verses 5 and 6. invite you to follow along as I read. Verse 5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. That's where we all want to be, right? Verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. When you talk about living by faith, when you talk about true faith, I think there's a lot of confusion out there. There's a lot of muddy understanding when it comes to understanding faith from a biblical perspective. So we have just a two-part plan today. We're going to, number one, we're going to look at the core nature of true faith. And then secondly, we're going to look at some elements of True faith. We could call it God-pleasing faith. So let's begin by looking at the core nature of true faith. Now, it's important to understand that faith, and the verb to that is believe, is not mere mental assent. It doesn't mean we just sort of give a superficial salute to something. The word, the verb, believe, in the New Testament is the the word in the original language, pistuo. It's P-I-S-T-E-U-O. And that word for believe occurs some 240 times in the New Testament. And it never means some vague belief about something. 
Pistuo, that word to believe, means to entrust yourself to something. It means to rely on something. It means to place your full weight upon something. Based on reasonable evidence, that's what we do. We entrust ourselves, we rely on, we put our full weight upon. Now, what is interesting about the concept of faith and belief is that I find faith is usually restricted in people's minds to the religious arena. If you say, well, I want to talk about faith, right away people, I want to talk about something spiritual. But the truth of the matter is that we exercise true faith every single day of our life. For example, I know most of us will get a hold of a bottle of water and we will drink it, right? Very common to do that. One of my favorite brands of water is Dasani, and one of the reasons why I like it is it's got a really big cap. It's easy to twist off. But we exercise faith when it comes to drinking water out of that bottle. I mean, how many people, before you open it up, say, I've got to go through some kind of a purification test here. I don't know that this is really pure. Where, where did this water come from? You know, did someone just sort of empty their bathtub out and put it in a water bottle? No, we, we exercise faith. Dasani, by the way, is bottled by Coca-Cola. And so we're saying, you know, there's reasonable information and evidence. I can trust Coca-Cola. They've been around a long time. I don't think Coca-Cola is going to bottle water that is unsafe to drink or isn't pure to drink. We exercise true faith every single day. You know, I had my uh, prostate cancer surgery at Mayo Clinic in 2002. Now, I had heard about the surgeon who would do my surgery from some other friends who told me about him, and I actually had had met him. But you know what I did not do before my surgery? I did not hire a detective to investigate Dr. Lieber. I didn't do that. I didn't say, hey, I need someone to investigate Dr. Lieber's personal life. I mean, what's really going on in his personal world? I did not have to get a detective to investigate Dr. Lieber's drug history, you know? Has he been a druggie? Has he been high on things? What is he doing? I didn't have to do any of that. I exercised faith based on reasonable evidence because he worked at Mayo Clinic. And Mayo Clinic has shown us over the years that they are trustworthy, that they get good, solid surgeons. And so, therefore, I exercised faith when I underwent surgery. We do this all the time. You know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to do a lot of flying, and that means I get on an airplane, and airplanes have pilots, and you know, especially as you're flying more and more on those smaller jets, you know, you get right on there, and it's just, you're going right by there, you can see the back of the the pilot. You know what I have never done? I've never stopped by the cockpit. I've never said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, how much sleep did you get last night? This could be pertinent to this adventure we're getting ready to go on. I haven't stopped by and said, hey, uh, when was your last blood alcohol test? I'd like to know. I don't like to fly with drunk pilots. I, I've never said to one of them, hey, you know, could you just tell me, like, have you ever flown one of these before? You know, how many times have you been up in the air? I, I, I don't do any of that. In other words, I exercise faith. It's based on reasonable evidence. I can trust United. I can trust American. I can trust Delta and some of the foreign airlines I've flown on. You see, we exercise faith every single day. 
So faith is not a mysterious concept. It's an everyday experience. But notice it says in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we need to look at some elements of true faith. Now, there are multiple jewels of faith that dot the whole landscape of Hebrews 11. So again, I would encourage you to spend some time here. What I want to do, though, is mine four elements of true faith from Hebrews 11. Now, again, I don't want to jump over that first phrase in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Notice it does not say, without faith, it's a tad bit difficult, a little bit tough. You can do it, but it's a little tough. No, it says, it is impossible to please him without faith. Notice it goes on to say there, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that gives us the first element of faith. A faith that pleases God, number one, believes he is. You see that right there in verse 6. See it also later on in verse 27, uh, where it talks a little bit there about Moses, seeing him who is unseen. Now, you can't go to God's house, drive up and look at his mansion here. He doesn't hang out at the mall. We can't see him but he's always there. But a faith that pleases God, number one, believes that he is. And this is very, very vital when it comes to initial faith. If someone doesn't know Christ as their rescuer from sin and judgment, what do we do? Well, we must believe he is. First of all, that he is the creator. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, invisible, or rather visible and invisible, all things have been created through him and for him. Faith that pleases God believes that he is, believes that he's the creator, not only just the general creator, but he is the personal creator of who you are and who I am. We learn that from Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. I like the way Hebrews 3, 4 puts it. The builder of all things is God. That includes you and that includes me. One who has faith that pleases God must believe that he is. Now, it's not just this blind faith. It's based on reasonable information and facts. You know, you can look at the micro-universe that exists. And you know there, there was a creator. You know, you just study the way our heart operates and all the complexity of all of that. And it doesn't turn off all of our life. It just keeps working. You can look at the complexity of the eye and all the intricacy that's involved there or the complexity of the ear. That's fascinating to me. It's just so amazing. Or you look at the way our brain is wired and the way that it operates. There is reasonable evidence that he is that he is our creator and our personal creator. Or you can look at the macro universe that exists. You know, we live in a perfectly designed solar system for life. The sun is just the right size. It's just the right distance from earth. The moon is just the right size, just the right distance from earth. And we have all the qualities that are necessary in order to sustain life. He is the creator 
and he is our personal creator. If you'd like to learn more about how God created you, you can look at Job chapter 10, verses 8 to 12, something you can look at later. A faith that pleases God believes he is. He is the creator, he is our personal creator, and he is our rescuer. That's what we've been singing about today. That Christ came to this world with one primary plan, and that was to die, to take the penalty and judgment for sin that you and I deserve, that we had earned. And so when we talk about true faith, it's not some superficial salute, you know, like, I I believe in Jesus, I I think there's a God somewhere. That's not true faith. True faith means we entrust ourselves to someone here, that we rely on what they have done for us, that we place our full weight, our full hope on that. That's what I'm doing. I guarantee you that. And we have reasonable evidence for that. It's called the resurrection. Jesus came not only to die, but he rose again from the dead. And if you're still searching and trying to understand who the person of Christ is, I have a place for you to go to do a little reading, and that would be the Gospel of John, and read through the Gospel of John. At the end of that Gospel, in chapter 20, verse 31, it says this, Jesus did many other things, but these have been written so that you may believe and trust yourself to, count on, rest in what he has done, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Faith that pleases God believes he is. That's the first element. Second element, a faith that pleases God believes he is a rewarder a rewarder of those who seek him. Look at verse six again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This idea that believing he is a rewarder is a recurring theme throughout the chapter. You might want to read through the chapter and look for it. We see it in in chapter 10. Speaking of Abraham, He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. As he was functioning in his life, he was looking to God who would be the rewarder. In verse 16, talking about many who were followers of God, it says in verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is a rewarder. In verse 26, again, we saw with Moses, it says there that he considered the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and treasures of Egypt, which were, by the way, amazing. And he had it all at his fingertips. But what does it go on to say? He was looking to the reward. And then verse 35, speaking of other people who were followers of God, it says, women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Their eyes were not merely focused on the now. Their eyes were not merely focused on this world. Their eyes were focused on the fact that he is a rewarder. Those of you who are part of Legacy know probably that Harlan Snodgrass, who was one of the dear saints here at Wildwood, went home to be with Jesus 
It's about a day or so ago. And you know what he was counting on? That God is a rewarder. He told me, he said, Bruce, I really believe, this was about 10 days ago or so, he told me, I really believe I'm on my way to heaven now. And that's what he was counting on. And that's what he's experiencing right now. That is true faith. See, true faith believes God that there's a better resurrection, believes God that there is a reward. That's why we persevere through difficulty in this life. Because we believe there is a reward and he is a rewarder. True faith believes God for eternal treasure, that there's an inheritance waiting for us, that there's a better country than America, a heavenly one. True faith believes that there's going to be a city we're going to live in one day whose architect and builder is God himself. But Harlan was counting on by faith. Faith that pleases God believes that he is a rewarder. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but what has been your focus this week or this month? I mean, have your eyes been riveted on the current circumstances of your life? Or has a focus been to trust God for a better reward for eternal treasure? As Jesus said in Matthew 6, a treasure that thieves can't steal and won't rust and degrade. Why is that important? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 21, that where our treasure is, our heart will be there also. It's so critical that we have the right perspective. So a faith that pleases God, number one, believes he is. Number two, believes he is a rewarder. Number three, believes he is able. Look at verse 19. Speaking of Abraham, it says, he considered that God is able. Now, again, we're not talking about some sort of a just quick salute at that. We're talking about counting on it, relying on it. Do you really buy that? I mean, do you really buy that God is able? Not just sort of generally salute it, but Do we buy it on an everyday level? The truth is that Jesus is the friend that we need. Uh, Keep your finger in Hebrews 11. We'll come back, but I want you to flip over a couple of pages to the left to Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16. Faith that pleases God believes he is able. Notice verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, you remember what the function of the high priest was in the Old Testament? The the high priest was there to represent the nation before God. And we have a high priest whose name is Jesus, and he is there to represent us to God the Father. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest who's representing us to God the Father who understands the struggles that we go through. He understands the temptations that we have. He understands the tears that we shed and the sorrow that we experience. So what do we do in light of that? Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Great verse. And I love that little phrase, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. You know, the New King James Version and the New Living Translation say, come boldly to the throne of grace. If you like to write in your Bible, right beside verse 16, write that word boldly in there. Therefore, let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to share with you story I came across a few years ago. Um, it's a story about a doctor, lady missionary, who went to work in South Africa at an orphanage for kids there in South Africa. And she, she wrote this account. She said, there was one particular night where we worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward, but in spite of all that we could do, she died leaving us both with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. And so they had this tiny premature baby, but they had no incubator. In fact, they actually had no electricity to even run an incubator. And although they were living on the equator, she writes, their nights were often very chilly with treacherous drafts. And so I took one of the aides aside and I said, I want you to go stoke up the fire and get our hot water bottle and fill it up. And then she came to her not long after that to the doctor and said in distress, while I was filling the hot water bottle, it burst. And that was the last hot water bottle that we had. So the doctor said to the aide, we'll put the baby as near to the fire as you safely can and sleep between the baby and the door to keep it from drafts. The following day at noon, as the doctor did most days, she would meet to have prayers with the orphanage children who would come around her and they would pray. So as she was meeting with the orphan children, she was telling them what had happened the night before. She told them about the mother dying. She told them about the two-year-old daughter who was crying because her mother had died. And she told them about the tiny baby and how they were trying to keep the baby warm enough, how the hot water bottle would have helped to lay next to the baby because they were trying to avoid that brand new premature baby from getting chilled. And during the prayer time, one 10-year-old girl, orphaned by the name of Ruth, spurted out this prayer. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, as the baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. And the doctor wrote, I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer. 
And then she went on to add, Ruth did, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? And the doctor wrote this. She said, I really did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know that he can do everything. But the only way I could see that God could do this would be sending me a a parcel from home to Africa. And she said, I had been there for four years at that time, and I had never, ever received a parcel from home. And by the way, even if someone did send me a parcel, who would put in a hot water bottle when you lived at the equator? Well, that all happened at noon. Then later on in the afternoon, a message was sent to the doctor that there was a car at her front door. She said, by the time I got to my front door, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel, and tears began to form in my eyes. I knew I couldn't open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. They came, and 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on that large cardboard box. So the doctor began to lift things out. First of all, there was clothes, colored clothes, knitted jerseys, and the eyes sparkled as she gave them out. Then there were knitted bandages for the leprosy patients. And then she wrote this. She said, then came a box of raisins. And then as I put my hand in again, I felt the, could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward, crying out, if God sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. So rummaging down to the bottom of the box, Ruth pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. And then she turned to me and said, can I go over with you and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? Now, here's what the doctor writes. She said, the amazing thing is that parcel had been on its way for five months It had been packed by my former Sunday school class where someone obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the young girls there had put in a dolly for an African child five months before in answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it that afternoon. Let us draw near boldly to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The faith that pleases God believes that God is able. George Mueller said this. He said, faith begins where man's power ends. Oh, that's so true. This verse, uh, this week, uh, Mark shared a verse with our staff. It's a great verse It's an utterly startling verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Here's what it says in that verse. It says, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that dwells inside of us. And he will energize our mortal bodies. You can go think about that one for a while. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that dwells inside of us and he will energize our mortal bodies. Faith begins where man's power ends. He is able. 
A faith that pleases God, number one, believes he is. Number two, believes he is a rewarder. Number three, believes he is able. Number four, faith that pleases God, believes he is faithful. Faithful. We see that back in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11. We see that from Sarah. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. He is faithful. We talked about in one of our earlier messages the name of God that God gave to Moses to share with the people. Remember the name I am? What is your name? Tell them my name is I am. And the idea behind that name is that when we come to him, everything that we need, he is at that moment. Like Ray Pritchard put it, he put it this way, it's as if with that name, I am, God is saying, I am your strength, I am your courage, I am your hope, I am your supply, I am your defender, I am your deliverer, I am your joy, I am your future. Faith that pleases God, believes he is, believes he is a rewarder, believes he is able, believes he is faithful. But in all of that, we must remember that God works mysteriously. He works mysteriously. Many of you know the story of the missionary Jim Elliott. His wife is Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot died in 1956 at the age of 28, along with four others who had come to Ecuador to work with the Wa'orani natives there. What you may not know, by the way, is that Jim Elliot came to Norman, Oklahoma in 1950. He came to the Wycliffe Translator Training Camp that was held here in Norman, Oklahoma in 1950. Jim Elliot is very famous for his journal entry that he wrote. It's been repeated many a times. And by the way, it's not just a myth. There's actually a picture there of his journal. He actually wrote this in his journal. The thing he's famous for is his phrase, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot lose. And so he died... God calling him home at the age of 28, leaving behind a very young wife and a one-year-old daughter. You see, God works mysteriously. You, you may not be aware that Jim Elliot had an older brother. He actually had several of them, but particularly one by the name of Bert. And Bert spent 62 years in Peru. And Bert established 150 churches in Peru. In fact, we have a side-by-side picture, I think. Do we have that back there? You have Jim there on the left and Bert on the right. Bert died in Peru at the age of 87. One brother dies at 28, leaving behind a young wife and a young daughter. Another one spends 62 years, establishes 150 churches, and dies at the age of 87. God just works mysteriously. I mean, why, why do we have this thing, Jim versus Bert? I mean, why did what happened to Jim not happen to Bert? And what happened to Bert not happen to Jim? 
Why do things happen to you and not to another person? Why do things happen to another person and not to you? You see, God works mysteriously. I mean, why did God answer little Ruth's prayer on the very same day when you've been praying for something for years? Part of the answer is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Everyone should have that in their spiritual repertoire. You know, where God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. As high as the heavens are from the earth, and that's quite a bit higher, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, that's part of the part of it. But also, sometimes God delays prayer for reasons. I'll just give, give you a couple of them real quickly, all right? Sometimes he delays answers to prayer to develop perseverance in our life. That's exactly what Abraham went through. He was promised a son. 25 years went by until that promise was fulfilled. Now, why did God do it that way? We learn from Romans chapter 4, verse 20, that Abraham grew strong in faith during that time. Sometimes he delays in answering prayer to wean us from self-reliance. Again, you can see this in Abraham's life. What did Abraham and Sarah do? They tried all their own foolish schemes. It's created all kinds of problems, not only for them then, but we still feel the effects of it today. Part of the reason why God delayed an answer was to wean them from self-reliance and their own foolish scheming. And then a third reason why he sometimes delay is to deepen our trust in God. Have you ever thought about this? If Abraham had to wait, why not me? I mean, if the father of faith had to wait, why not me? Faith that pleases God believes that God is faithful. And men and women, we can live with unanswered prayer. We can live with unanswered questions about God as long as we believe in the goodness of God. And how do we know that God is good? He came for you 2,000 years ago, and he's got nothing left to prove. Since he knows us, since he is always there, since he passionately cares, we live by faith. And men and women, that is core truth. Now, as we close today, I want to do something a little bit different. I wanted you to trust me for a moment, and that would be to just close your eyes. And I would like to read to you from the translation, the message, the first eight verses of Proverbs 3. And I want you to just imagine this is a communication from the heart of God to your heart. Here's what it says. Good friend, don't forget all I've taught you. Take to heart my commands. They'll help you live a long time, a long life lived full and well. Don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. Tie them around your neck. Carve their initials on your heart. Earn a reputation for living well in God's eyes and the eyes of the people. Trust me from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for my voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. I'm the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. 
run to me. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for core truth. We all need to be reminded of it. And thank you of this reminder we have of your great goodness to us that we should never, ever question your goodness after what you've done for us in sending Christ into this world. You know, need no other proof than that. Thank you that we can trust you and rely on you, count on you because of who you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.